this life will all be over and our pilgrimage will end. Soon we'll take our heavenly journey, be at home again with friends. Heaven's gates are standing open, waiting for our entrance there. Some sweet day we're going over, all the beauties there to share. Just a little while to stay here, just a little while to wait, just a little while to labor. Just a little more of trouble in this low and sinful state. Then we'll enter heaven's portals, sweeping through the pearly case. Soon we'll see the light of morning, then the new day will begin. Father calling, come my children, enter in. Then we'll hear a choir of angels singing out the victory song. All our troubles will be ended, and we'll live with heaven's throng. Just a little while to stay here, just a little while to wait. Just a little while to labor in the path that's always straight. Just a little more of trouble in this low and sinful state. Then we'll enter heaven's portals, sweeping through the pearly gates. Then we'll enter heaven's portals, sweeping through the pearly So great a God is our God. Thou art the God that dost wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people.
thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before thou hast formed the earth, before the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Many of you know uh, Brother Booth, and again, thank you, Ensemble. That was that was just uh, wonderful, wasn't it? Amen. We thank the Lord, uh, the quartet, them, the choir. Boy, thank the Lord for wonderful music here. But uh, tonight we are blessed to have with us uh, Brother Tim Booth, and again, he is um, one of the um, directors at the football camp that we attend, and of course, we've had him here before preaching for us and uh, some of our revivals, and we're certainly glad that he could be with us this evening as he has the opportunity, along with myself today, to kind of kick off our missions conference. We appreciate Brother Booth. He's been a friend to our ministry, a friend to me, and so many of our guys here know him that have been to football camp, and uh, he's really one of the good guys there. There's a, there are a lot of rough, tough characters there, but he's one of the good guys. Now, he can be tough, don't misunderstand me, but he at least tries to smooth it over. you got another guy named Brother Woodward there, and he's just uh, tough as nails, you know. You guys know what I'm talking about that been there before, right? We love Brother Booth. He's a blessing to us. Brother Booth, you come preach for us. Thank you so much, preacher. What a joy it is to be here. Uh, last time I was here, was in the other building, and this is exciting. Praise the Lord what God's done. Amen. And I want to say amen to preacher's comments about the music. Bless my heart tonight. Man, isn't, isn't godly music a blessing? Amen. I mean, it really is, and that, uh, that just tonight blessed my gizzard, Amen. and if, if you're a real Baptist, you have a gizzard, right. Amen. Amen, and uh, so I appreciate that, and just a joy to be here uh, tonight. I told the I called preacher and said I was going to be in the area and, uh, and ask uh, if he would want to have me preach at all, and he said, yeah, you could fit on, in on Sunday night for us. And a missions conference getting started, and I love, I love preaching a missions conference. And the only regret I have is I'm not going to be here all week long, because I have a whole bunch of mission sermons, and uh, 
I, I really, uh, really want to preach all of them. To, how much time do you have tonight? <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I, I really do. I love your pastor and his family. Uh, they're on my morning prayer list, and, and I appreciate uh, his faithfulness to the Lord, love for the Lord. He's always a blessing at football camp. You know, at football camp, we have to really, you know, kind of make sure that uh, the, our coaches, you know, who are all pastors and all, that, but we got to just make sure, you know, competition gets going. We've got to make sure they don't get out of control. And uh, we don't have a problem with your pastor. Now, Brother Kavanaugh, well, we won't go there, but... <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, I appreciate uh, uh, the opportunity once again to be here. Uh, the Lord's been awfully good to me. I was sharing with uh, the church this afternoon. I preached at Brother Grimaldi's over there, and I was sharing with them that uh, my son John pastors in Iowa. And God's blessed John with eight children, and he's got one on the way. I've told him there's other ways to build the church, but he... Uh, he, he's, he's waiting on a television program. And, uh, but John told me a couple of weeks ago, he told me that his, uh, his little boy named Joe, he's six years old. And uh, he said, it was Sunday afternoon, Joe said to him, Dad, do we have a missionary tonight? And John said, we do. He's going to be speaking tonight. And little Joe said, is he one of those long ones or short ones? <laughs> So I'll try not to be too long tonight, uh, but thank you again, preacher, for the opportunity. Open our Bibles tonight, if you would join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As Brother Kavanaugh was given his uh, announcements and all, and, and uh, the, uh, made the comment about a missions conference really is, is, is a revival. It really is. I mean, it really deals with all the things in the Christian life that are a challenge to us. This matter of faith is absolutely essential for everything in the Christian life. Uh, you know, the matter of, of dealing with our finances is a challenge. And if we can get that right and our faith right, we can see some amazing things happen. The heart of God Almighty is about souls. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Missions is all about reaching souls. It really is uh, as much a revival as anything. And uh, so I'm excited for you. Brother Spencer Smith coming, preacher announced, and, and uh, you, will be, you will thoroughly enjoy Spencer Smith. He is a tremendous preacher. He is not sane, but he is a tremendous preacher, a great guy. You're going to thoroughly enjoy and has a tremendous ministry God has really given him some uh, great fruit from his efforts in the ministry. And so I'm excited for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We read in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. They were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. 
Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. This church at Corinth, we know, had struggles with carnality. But Paul loved them. Paul had a great heart for this church. In fact, we see that over there in chapter 7, verse 4. Paul says, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. With outward fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us of your, uh, uh, your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. Paul said, you know, I had to write that first letter to your church because there was a lot of sin that wasn't being dealt with and they had to be pretty, pretty strong in some words and, and dealing with some things. But Titus has come from there and he's reported to me that you've received that well and you repented. And my heart is so comforted to know that you've gotten things right with the Lord. Paul loved this church and Paul understood that they could never develop in their Christian lives without learning the grace of giving. And so he challenges and instructs them for the next two chapters, in chapter 8 and chapter 9. The truth is, folks, nothing so hinders the effect of a Christian's testimony as selfishness. Nothing is so hindering to real testimony of the grace of God is stinginess. But nothing so increases the effect of a Christian testimony as unselfishness and generosity. Again, even the testimony we heard from Brother Kavanaugh tonight, how that those gifts opened up hearts. Because, you see, we serve a gracious God and a merciful God. And there's nothing so sad as a testimony of a believer that is self-centered and selfish. The Pharisees were all about themselves. They were all about their image. They were all about uh, having things for themselves and getting a pat on the back. It was all about self. So now in chapter 8 and chapter 9, this is not concerning tithes. In fact, this was a special offering that Paul had already talked to them about that they were supposed to be giving and they were dragging their feet about it. They had said that they were going to give to this special offering, but they were dragging their feet about it. It's not talking about tithes. So when people get over there in chapter 9 and they would say, well, I don't believe in tithing. We're just supposed to, you know, every man give according as he purposeth in his heart, let him give. He's not talking about tithes. He's talking about beyond the tithe. You see, tithe defines itself. It's a tenth. If you don't give your tithes, you're a crook. That's what the Bible said. If you don't give tithes, if you don't give at least a 10% of all your increase, then the Bible says in the book of Leviticus, the tithe already belongs to the Lord. You don't give it back to him, then you're robbing God according to the book of Malachi. So tithes prove our honesty. But giving above and beyond tithes 
in special gifts and mission support. That proves our love. See, tithing just shows that we're honest, but giving beyond that proves our love and gratefulness to a Savior that would go to Calvary and die for us. In verse 8 of chapter 8, he says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. I love the story that we find in the Gospels about, about Mary of Bethany. And I love that story about when Jesus was there. And you know, Lazarus had just days before that been raised from the dead and brought out of the tomb. And now they're at the home in Bethany and, and, and they're having a, a meal and Jesus is there. And the Bible tells us about Mary that, you know, Martha was always that one that was cumbered about with much serving. She was taken up with responsibilities and all. But Mary had a special heart of love for her Savior. And I can imagine as Mary sat there looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and realizing it was his power that raised our brother from the dead. We wouldn't have Lazarus sitting here had Jesus not raised him from the dead. It was his mighty power that rescued our brother. And her heart became more and more grateful until she was overwhelmed. And the Bible tells us she broke open this alabaster box of ointment. And she poured this spikenard on her Savior. Now what you understand, spikenard was a very expensive ointment. Spikenard was something she had saved up possibly as much as a year's salary in those days. Spikenard was something that they used. It was so potent in its perfume that they used it for a body that had died so that it, as it began to decay, it would cover the smell of that decaying body. Now, isn't it interesting that her brother had just died? But she didn't use that on her brother. You see, there was somebody dear to her heart that she was saving that for. And the scripture tells us that she saved that for his burial, the Lord Jesus Christ. She knew that he was going to Calvary. She knew that he was going to die. And she saved that. You see, there was something that she loved even more than family. She loved her Lord. And she gave from that heart of love. This wasn't a tithe. This, this was something that was motivated by her love. A missions conference gives us an opportunity to see how much we love him. The privilege to give to that which he cares about. For those of us that love the Lord Jesus Christ and are grateful for what he's done for us, sometimes we look and say, Lord... I really want to give more. I don't know how I can. Well, I want you to understand, Paul chooses here to motivate these Corinthian believers. And he uses the example of these Macedonian churches. And Paul motivates the Corinthian church by these Macedonian churches' testimony. You remember the church at Philippi was a Macedonian church. The church at Philippi was said that they gave once and again unto Paul's ministry. They had a pattern of giving to Paul's ministry. 
Man, wouldn't it be an honor to be considered a Macedonian type church? A church that God chose to use as, as an example in this matter of giving for the Corinthian church. And that's what the Lord did. Now notice the characteristics of this example that the Lord's using in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. First of all, as we're considering this matter of giving, you say, man, you know, are you really going to go into all this about giving money? Yeah, I love to preach on giving money. Amen. I just like to see Baptists get nervous. <laughs> I mean, some people, the, the offering plate's passed, you look like you're about to go through a root canal. It ought to be the joy of the believer's opportunity to give to a wonderful Savior for the cause of reaching others to bring them to Christ. And so Paul uses this this illustration of these Macedonian churches. Notice the first characteristic in verse 2. As he tells, well, let's go to verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do yet a wit of the grace of God bestowed on uh, on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Well, we're talking about giving here. And the Lord uses the example of a church that's in deep poverty. Notice their poverty. It says in a great trial of affliction, Webster defines that as a state of pain or distress or grief. You ever been there financially? I have. I'm an evangelist. Amen. When the pressure is on you financially, and it becomes such a trial of affliction, painful, stressful, grievous, it said these people that were an example in giving gave out of this great affliction, a trial of affliction, that it says... And their deep poverty abounded. It means prevailed. That poverty was overwhelming. That poverty was absolutely dominant to them. They were not in the financial position to give. I mean, just looking at a budget, they were not in the financial position to give. And yet, this is the example, church, for giving. We look at the Old Testament, remember that woman at Zarephath? And, and the Lord instructed Elijah to go there. And, and here, you know, she was at a time where there was great drought. And there was, she, she doubted that life could go on anymore. She was in great despair. She had nothing left but a little bit of cake and, uh, or enough to make a little cake for her and her son. Remember that? And, and you know what, what that prophet of God said? Go get it and make it for me. Selfish rascal? No, he wasn't being selfish. You see, that was God's plan because that lady was going to get blessed because of giving by faith and trusting. This is what God wants. He said, fear not. Elijah said to her, fear not. You give it to me, God's going to take care of you. Great poverty. So those of us that are thinking about this missions conference and kind of feeling a little negative and saying, ah, you know, pressure's going to be on and, and you know, we don't really have it to give, just stay with me. Because here the Lord gives us a wonderful example, church, 
I want you to not only notice their poverty, notice the power that they gave with. In verse 3, he says, For to their power I bear record and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. To their power wasn't enough because they were in deep poverty. But beyond their power was enough. What's beyond our power? Preacher was talking about Brother Woodward joking and Brother Woodward's a dear, dear friend and we've done that football camp for over 25 years now and Brother Woodward has said this too many, many times. He said, Brother Booth, if I'm guilty of anything, I'm probably guilty of trying to do too much. But can I tell you something? If we only attempt what looks possible, we'll never see God do the impossible. And this church and its example of giving, it didn't look possible. But they didn't give just to their power. They gave beyond their power. You know, all four Gospels mention the story about the feeding of the 5,000. You know, but only in John is that little boy mentioned. You know, in, in Matthew and Mark and John, it records Jesus walking on the water. But only in Matthew is Peter mentioned. Why is that? Because the focus isn't on Peter. And the focus isn't on that little boy with the lunch. The focus is on a mighty God who has ability and power that's beyond us. It's all about His power. When it comes to this matter, you praying about your missions giving. Don't ask, dear Lord, what can I do? Ask, dear Lord, what do you want to do through me? Not just giving to our power, but beyond our power. Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China, he was speaking at a large church in Melbourne, Australia. And he was introduced by the, the one running the, the service. And he was given these flowery, glowing terms and a list of all of his accomplishments in China. And, and then finally he said, now our illustrious guest... And Hudson Taylor walked up to the pulpit and he stood there for a minute quiet with his head down. And then he said, dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. This isn't about what we can do. This is about the will of God for each of us of what he wants to show us in giving through us. This was an opportunity Paul saw for these Corinthian believers whom he loved. But they needed to grow in the Lord. And I'm telling you, you won't ever grow in the Lord if you don't learn to give as God leads you to give. Amen. It's about His power, not our power. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. I love this passage. Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. What is that power that worketh in us? We'll go over a, a page in your Bible there and look at Ephesians chapter 1. 
And verse 15 says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. That same power that work to raise our Savior from the dead is working in the life of a believer. Man, I don't know about you, that excites me. That when I go to minister for the Lord, I don't want to preach in my power. I fall flat on my face, I've done it too many times. I want, I want His power to be manifested. I want Him to do what He can do. I don't know everybody's needs. If I knew everybody's needs, I'm not smart enough to meet those needs. But I know if his power's in control, he knows the needs. And he can work. Listen to me, Sunday school teacher, you can see amazing things happen and end up with some of those Sunday school kids that end up on the mission field one day if you teach in his power. Youth workers working with these young people, man, who knows what God may do through their lives if they're ministered to by his power. You'd think, well, I don't know if I could ever be much of a soul winner. Well, you won't be. But if you yield yourself to him, it's through his power. It's not our power. And this giving as a Christian over and above our tithes, the Lord uses this wonderful example. He said, Paul, make sure you write this to this Corinthian church that you care about and love. Out of their great poverty, deep, abounding poverty, They didn't just give to their power, but they gave beyond their power. Luke 137 says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Look over there at Romans chapter 4 and verse 21. Romans 4 and verse 21, it says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Now, I love that passage we read there in Ephesians. Look at it with me again. He said, get back there to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Now listen to me. My little pea brain can think of a lot of things. I mean, I can daydream. I can think of a lot of amazing things. And he says here, unto him that is able to do all That we think. I can think of some amazing things. And it says he's able to do all that I think. And not only that, he's able to do all that I ask. All that I think, all that I ask. And then it says he's able to to do above what I ask or think. And then he goes on and says... Not only am I able to do above what you ask or think, I'm able to do abundantly above all that you ask or think. As you consider your faith promise this year, ask Him, God, what can you do that's beyond my power that you want me to trust you for this year? 
It could be one of the most exciting years of your life. We saw their great poverty. We saw them give beyond their power. I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians verse 8. Notice chapter 8 verse 4. Notice their passion. The passion of this example churches in Macedonia. Sorry, I'm over in 1 Corinthians. Let me get to the right place. I'm getting old and feeble. It says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the, to the saints. This they did not as we hoped. I mean, Paul's saying, I knew this church was poverty stricken. This church in Macedonia, these churches in Macedonia, they were under great abounding poverty. I wasn't that I hoped, Paul said, it wasn't that I was begging them to give, hoping they, they were begging me. They prayed with much entreaty, please, Paul, no, come on, I know you folks don't have much. No, Paul, please, let us have part, Paul. Man, our heart loves God. We're, we want to give beyond our power. Please, Paul. Don't leave us out of this. We need the Lord's blessing. Paul, please, let us, please take our gift. Great passion. I was in a church in the south. The pastor had gone to a Bible college just not far from where he, he was pastoring at this time, but when he was younger. And when he was at that Bible college, he ran a, a bus route, picked up folks and and for Sunday school, and he picked up this little lady and her two children that kind of lived in a little shack of a place. He graduated, he left there, he went to be an assistant pastor for about a year and a half. And then he felt like God wanted him to come back to that town. There was a church opened up, a Baptist church, he became the pastor. As soon as he and his wife moved back and he began the pastor, he's there in the grocery store and this little lady that he used to pick up on the bus route sees him. She calls him by name. He said, well, it's so good to see you. She said, well, I've missed you. She said, since you left, nobody comes and picks us up for church. And she said, you know, we love going to church. And he said, well, I, I'm a pastor now, and I'm at this church. She said, really? She said, well, you know, we're church-going people. He said, well, I promise you we're going to pick you up for church. And so he made the arrangements Sunday morning for Sunday school. He'd stop by, he and his wife. Little lady was ready with her two children. They got in the car with the preacher. He took them to church. Oh, she was so tickled. She sat there, not real nice clothes, but she had a heart for the Lord. And she sat there and so pleased. And afterwards, preacher took her and the two kids by and got them a little something to eat from a fast food place. And he took them back home. As they were getting out of the car, she thanked the preacher. Thank you so much. So good to be back in church. We love the Lord. She said, but you know, we're not just Sunday morning folks. <laughs> and he said, well, if you won't come tonight, I'll be here. I will be here to pick you up tonight. Pastor's wife went and picked him up for Sunday night. Oh, she just had a wonderful time. He dropped her off Sunday night after the service. She said, <clears throat> you, you know, we're... 
Wednesday night kind of folks too. Pastor went and picked them up for Wednesday night. They kept coming, kept coming. She said to him one evening, Preacher, you think there's any way that maybe I could become a member of your church? He said, you've been saved and baptized, haven't you? He said, I sure have. You sure can be a member of our church. She said, now, I don't have a whole lot of talent. But she said, there's two things I'm real good at. I'm real good at cooking. And I'm real good with little, the little ones. And I'd love to sit in the nursery and be grandma to those little ones. And if you need a cook, he says, well, matter of fact, our Saturday morning when we get together before our soul one visitation, we like to have a breakfast. Would you be willing to cook that breakfast? We'll get all the ingredients. Oh, she said, I would love to do that. For years, she cooked the Saturday morning breakfast. She rocked those little kids in the nursery and loved on them for years. And then she got to the age... Her children had grown up. They'd gotten married. They were still faithful in church. But she got to where her health and she was so feeble that her, her married children couldn't be there always to take care of her like she needed. And it was obvious she was at the point that she needed to be put into a, a care home where she could be taken care of. Oh, she didn't want to go there. She fought it. She cried. She just didn't want to go. They tried to tell her it would be better for you, be somebody there to help. Oh, she didn't want to go. Finally, the pastor said, what is the problem? We're going to come and see you. She said, preacher, I'm so afraid. He said, afraid of what? She said, preacher, you know, I make a check out every month for $140. I'm not going to be able to give my, my, my gift to the Lord. That was her whole concern. Wouldn't that be a great thing if we had that kind of passion for the Lord? They prayed, Paul, with great entreaty. Please, let us have part. Lord, or Paul, please let us give. Accept our gift. I want you to notice not only their poverty the power by which they gave, the passion. But I want you to notice the priority. For it says in verse 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And can I tell you, you can't know His will about this matter of giving until your will is buried. And you're open to his will. They gave by the will of God after they first gave themselves. You ever given yourself to the Lord? You ever come and just said, Lord, not about me anymore. Not about what I want. Not about where I want to live. Not about where I want to go. Not about what I want to do. It's not about my schedule. Not about my financial plans. Not about my dreams and goals, Lord. It's not about me anymore. Lord, what do you want? You ever just given yourself to the Lord? It'll change everything. And to get the mind of God in this matter of giving for missions, you've got to first give yourself to the Lord. Now, if you've already made up your mind, you're not going to let God tell you what kind of music to listen to. You haven't given yourself to the Lord. 
you've already made up your mind, you're not going to let God tell you how to dress. You haven't given yourself to the Lord. You see, to get the mind of God, you've got to drop your will. Say, it's about you, Lord, not about me. Not about what I want. Lord, I love you so much for what you've done to save a wretch like me. Lord, I want to give what you, what you could do through your power through me. It's not to our power. How do you give what you'd really like to when you look and say, man, I, I don't know how I could, I love the Lord and I want to give. Well, you don't give by your power. You give according to his power. It's not the pressure of a preacher. It's yielding to the spirit of God and saying, God, you put in my mind and heart what you want me to trust you for. What you can do through your power in my life this year. It becomes one of the most exciting things. We'd be shocked if we would just let God show us his power. I read an amazing testimony, heard it. I was a teenage boy. We had this fellow come to preach. I think he's with the Lord now. He was an evangelist for many, many years. His daddy was a well-known preacher. Books have been written about him. They called his daddy Fighting Bob Shuler. Bob Shuler was a, he was a Methodist, but he was a gospel preaching Methodist. And this was years ago, old timer. And Bob Shuler was not, he didn't care about denominational things, whatever the denomination was trying to, to convince him to control. He, he wasn't going to be controlled. He walked with the Lord. He loved the Lord. He preached the gospel. And old Bob Shuler, he, he, he just loved to get a crowd to preach to. So he would advertise in the newspaper, come this Sunday, I'm exposing the mayor's sin. <laughs> and he would. He'd get up and he'd say, let me tell you who he's having an affair with. And this is going on. And he'd expose the mayor's sin and then he'd preach the gospel about the forgiveness of God. Well, man, I mean, folks started getting saved and that that place began to just grow and grow. But, of course, he had a bunch of enemies. Well, the Methodist organization, boy, they didn't know what to do with him. So they moved him to another place. Well, it wasn't six months. It was the same thing. Massive crowd. But man, everybody was fighting with him and he was just standing true and winning souls. And they finally thought, you know, let's send him out to Los Angeles. That's such a big place. He'll just get swallowed up and nobody will even notice him. Well, he got out to Los Angeles. And there was a woman in San Francisco that had followed his ministry. And she was extremely wealthy. And so she... She called him and said, I understand that you're now pastoring in Los Angeles and I, 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 uh, I want you to know I own a radio station in Los Angeles. <laughs> Y'all are ahead of me. She said, I'll sell you that radio station for a dollar. You need to get your message out. Well, he went, went to it again. And he exposed the governor... He exposed, I mean, but it wasn't long until pretty soon so many folks were getting saved. They had a thousand. They had 1,500 in the church. But there was, a, there was constant threats on his life. He had threats, literally, from the mob in Chicago that came out and tried to shoot him at his house. And his children told the story. 
he had a boy named Phil. When Phil was just about four years old, he and his brothers were up in the hayloft of the barn. They were wrestling around and playing, and Phil fell out of the hayloft onto his head, four years old. He immediately went into a coma. When he came out of the coma, Phil couldn't talk. He'd move his lips, nothing come out but little squeaks. No words, couldn't say anything. He just, everything else was fine, he couldn't talk. When he got ready to go to kindergarten, his mother pinned a note on him and said, please don't ask Phil questions out loud. Let him write down whatever you ask. He cannot speak. Well, he was a big boy. And so the first day of, of kindergarten, on the bus, kids saw his note and started making fun of him. So he took it off, stuck it in his pocket. He goes into class, teacher not knowing. She's going down each, each desk and said, now stand up and give us your name and your address. It's one gave theirs, this one gave theirs, got to Phil. When she got to Phil's desk, he was under the desk. She looked under there and said, come on out from under that desk. Now tell us your name and address. And he couldn't talk. Boy behind him started laughing at him, so Phil turned around and punched him in the nose. He's my kind of guy, I like that. From that day on, it was daily a fight. And he was a big boy, and he just became a bully, mad at everybody, fighting every day. He didn't get saved until he was about 14. And when he got saved, the Lord changed everything in his heart. He wasn't angry. He wasn't hateful. He wasn't a bully. God gave him great compassion. His older brother was preaching at his dad's church on a big, big youth rally. Tons of teenagers there. His older brother was the youth pastor in his dad's church. His older brother was preaching. His dad is on the platform. He said, I want you to know whatever God calls you to do, he'll equip you to do it. Phil, 14, 15 years of age, has never spoken a word since he was four. He always carried around a pencil and a piece of paper with him. Phil comes down the aisle. His brother sees him in the middle of the sermon. He just gets up and walks down the aisle. He waves at his brother. His brother goes down and says, what are you doing? He gets out his paper and pencil and he writes down, I'm surrendering to preach. He said, Phil, you can't talk. He said, maybe you could work on the, on the, the, the equipment at church. You know, you could, you could vacuum, you could, but Phil, you can't talk. His, his dad says, what's going on? He comes up, he says, dad, look at it. He reads what Phil said, I'm called to preach, I'm surrendering to preach. Fighting Bob Shuler said to his son, you go down there and straighten this out. You got him in this mess. <laughs> he was mad. He knew this was going to be an embarrassment. They're going to put it in the newspapers. Fighting Bob Shuler's boy thinks he can preach. He can't even talk. They're going to mock me. He got home that evening. He's all upset. He walks in. Phil went to his bedroom. 
He's weeping. His heart's broken. He, he said, I never heard my mom and dad fight ever. I never heard my mom answer back to my dad. But that night, he could hear through the wall. And his mother said to so what's the problem? Well, it's your son, your son that can't even talk. He said to everybody, he's going to be a preacher. She said, really? And old Mr. Fighting Bob Shuler, great trusting uh, a man of faith and believe in God, always says God can do the impossible, but you can't trust God to make your son a preacher. He said he was in his room, scared him half to death, never heard mom talk back to dad. Next morning, his dad apologized. He said, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'll do what I can to support and help you. Phone rang. It was a preacher. His dad answered. This preacher said, hey, we're having a big youth rally. We heard that Phil surrendered to preach. We want him to preach next week. Put him on the phone. Phil's on the phone. They, the man tells him, we want you to preach next week. Would you preach? He said, mm-hmm. So okay, we'll be looking forward to it. Hangs up the phone, writes on a note on his, Dad, you've got to help me prepare a sermon. I've got to get a sermon ready. His dad helped him get a sermon ready. He memorized it. He worked on it. He had it memorized. He hadn't spoken since he was four years old. I heard his testimony when I was a teenager. They had the youth rally. The kids are there. He's sitting on the platform, hasn't spoken since he was four years old. He walks up to the platform. He gets the notes out and his Bible out. And he began to speak. Squeaky, a little bit high-pitched, but he could make words. After about ten minutes, his words were getting better and his sound was getting better. He finished his dad's notes that he had prepared in about 10 to 15 minutes. And then he went on to preach another 30. And then he preached from then until he died as an evangelist. He is able to do abundantly above all that you ask or think according to his power. church I'm a member at is in Center, Texas. Pastor Danny Dodson's our pastor. He's been there about 30 years. Not a big church. Not a big town. About 5,000, I guess, in town. Church, I guess we run somewhere 150, 175 on Sunday morning with buses. Last year they gave $147,000 to missions. I don't know anybody in the church that has a lot of money. I don't know anybody. If I did, I'd be calling them. I don't know anybody in the church that has a lot of money. But I know a lot of people in that church that love souls and love missions and want to reach people across the world. Let me tell you, what God could do with you is far beyond what is able in our power. If you'll depend on His power. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for the great privilege we have to serve you. Thank you for the privilege we have to be part of winning the lost in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Lord, the privilege to give to these missionaries that have been willing to leave home 
to reach souls for thee. Places we may never go, but Lord, we could have a part. Help us to love you, Lord. Help us that we'd have that passion to want to be a part. Help us that you might increase our faith to trust not what we could do, but what you want to do through us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to ask you tonight if there's anybody here who would say, be honest with you, Brother Booth, if I died right this minute, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. It's been bothering me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I, I sure don't want to die and go to hell. If I could know for sure I was saved and forgiven on my way to heaven, I'd like to know that for sure. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Anybody like that tonight? I wonder how many would say, Brother Booth, I thank God I'm saved and on my way to heaven. I, sure, I, I truly am grateful. And I do love the Lord and I needed that tonight. Maybe he's dealing with you about some area that you haven't given yourself first. Maybe there's some area even in serving you just haven't given yourself yet. Maybe God's been tugging at your heart to do something for him. You just haven't trusted his power of what he could do. But Maybe many ought to come to an altar tonight and say, Dear God, put on my heart what you want to do through me in this great privilege and opportunity given to missions. How many would say tonight, Brother Booth is a Christian, I needed to hear that tonight. The Holy Ghost of God spoke to my heart tonight. He's dealing with me. Pray for me. Would you slip your hands up? God speaking to your heart tonight. God bless you. Yeah, thank God for you. Many hands. Thank the Lord for you. You may be in a situation that I don't know, maybe even preacher doesn't know, but it seems impossible. And maybe God tonight wants you to trust him for what he could do that's beyond what you can do. Let's stand for prayer. After I pray, the music will play. God's speaking to your heart. You need to come. Folks are already at the altar. You need to join them. You do that. Our Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for tender hearts and people that are faithful to be here on a Sunday night. And I pray, Lord, you saw many hands raised, maybe others that didn't raise their hand, but you're dealing with them about things. And I ask the Holy Spirit that you'd help us now to humble ourselves at an old-fashioned altar, receive that grace, that you'd seal decisions, that you'd begin to plant in the hearts of your people in this church what you want to do this year in your power in reaching souls across the world. Bless the invitation now, we pray in Jesus' name. As the music plays, God spoke to your heart, you need to come, you come. Others are already at the altar, you need to join them, you come on. You raised your hand, I prayed for you, there's nothing else I can do. Now's your opportunity. What's God tugging at your heart about? What's he put on your heart tonight? There's some things you just need to trust him for. You've been all struggling and defeated and And you got a God who's able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. If we just let him work his power. But first, you got to give yourself to him. And say, Lord, I'm willing, whatever you want. Not about what I want, Lord, it's what do you want. You need to come, you come.